0: Happy Easter. Happy Easter. All right, let's give God a hand this morning. Some of you have been holding back this morning. I can tell you've been holding back. You just want to shout. You're just wanting to give God all the praise. I want everybody to stand to your feet one more time. And this time, listen, let's give God a big, big praise, man. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Yeah. God is worthy. Yes. Mm. Wow. Woo. All right. You can be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about how love can restore the fallen. How love can restore the fallen. There's a story told about a man who, uh, he attended a church. he screwed up really, really bad. it became public. His sin became really public. and so the church actually excommunicated him. They, they asked him to leave and never come back and He came to God in prayer one day he, says, he said lord they they won't let me come back to church because I'm a sinner and god said God said this. He said, "What are you complaining about? They won't let me in either." <laughs> Aren't you glad today that that God is in this place, that God is welcome here and that sinners are welcome here today? I am so thankful. I'm so thankful. Morton Kelsey said this. He said, the church is not a museum for saints. It's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. It's a hospital for sinners. Jesus came not to call the upright or the righteous to himself. He came to call sinners sinners to repentance. Can I tell you this morning that that the God we serve is the only God that loves sinners? He's the only God that loves sinners. The God we serve is the only God that died for sinners and that rose again on the 3rd day. He's the only God that loves sinners. I'm so glad that we're serving the one true God this morning. I'm so glad. Woo. So today we're going to talk about how love, God's love, can restore sinners like you and I. How we can restore the fallen. And we're going to look in, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. Uh, Paul is talking to the church that is in Corinth at that time. And he is wanting to make sure that this church gets it right. Okay? See, Easter Sunday is all about getting the gospel Right. It's to remind us of what the gospel really is all about. And so Paul is wanting the church in in Corinth to know this. And this is what he says. We're going to look at verse number three. He said, the first thing that I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me that the Messiah died for our sins. Somebody say "Sins." sins that he died for our sins, exactly as scripture tells it, that he was buried That he was raised from the dead or raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as the scriptures say. And that he presented himself alive to who? To Peter. I want you to take note of that. He presented himself alive to Peter. Then his closest followers. And later to more than 500 of his followers. All at the same time. Most of them still around. Although a few have since died that he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and that he finally presented himself alive to me. What amazes me about this passage when I, when I read it again a few weeks ago and I was meditating about Easter is who Jesus first appeared to. The Bible says that he, he first presented himself to Peter. In other words, after Jesus rose from the the grave, he he had in his heart, he had in his mind, where's Peter? Where's Peter? If I were Jesus, I would have said, where's the high priest? I have a few choice words for the high priest. I would have found the high priest. I would have gone directly into his office. And I would have said, I told you so. I told you that that this body, right? I told you that I would destroy this temple in three days and then raise it back to life after three days. I told you I was going to do that. If I were Jesus, I would have gone to Pilate. And I would have said, Pilate, you asked me if I was the king of the Jews. I'm the man. Come on. I would have gone to the people who nailed me to that cross. I would have gone to my enemies and I would have proved to them that I was who I said I was. But no, Jesus decides to go to his closest followers and he chooses to find Peter first. He's looking for Peter. Why Peter? And I thought, well, maybe it's because Peter was such an amazing disciple, right? I mean, Peter was one of the first disciples who left everything to follow Jesus. We talked about that last week. He left his nets, he left his business, he left everything, and he started to follow Jesus. He was also the, the, the um, disciple who was the first to walk on water. In fact, the only disciple to walk on water, right? I mean, if, 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 this is the guy who said, hey, Jesus, I'll be the first to follow you. I'll believe in you. I'll walk on water. And he was the one who said, you know what? I know who you are. You're the Christ, the son of a living God. Peter was the first one to have that incredible revelation who Jesus is. Maybe that's why Jesus said, man, as soon as I rise from the dead, I got to find Peter. He's my favorite disciple. You know, I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason Jesus went looking for Peter is because Peter had just screwed up really, really bad. On the night Jesus was betrayed, we learned that that it was Peter who, in, in, in the greatest moment of his Christian career... He had the opportunity to pledge his allegiance to Jesus, to prove his loyalty to Jesus. And in his greatest opportunity, he makes his greatest blunder. And I believe that's why Jesus first went looking for Peter. I want to talk to you today about how how love, the love of God, can restore people like Peter. Something happened to Peter that has happened to all of us that are in this room today. And it's found in Luke chapter twenty two. All of us, all of us are not above and beyond this. Let me explain a little bit of the background here. Jesus um, was just about to be arrested, and he has this conversation with Peter. And he says, Peter, this is what he says. He says, Simon, Simon, which is Peter, Satan has asked to, watch this, sift. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Let me stop for a moment there. To sift wheat, what happens is, is the wheat has to go under some pressure, and the pressure it causes the chaff to separate from the wheat. The chaff is the skin; it causes the skin to to separate when it's under pressure. Peter, Satan has desired to put you under some pressure to separate the chaff from the wheat. He wants to prove that you're not the real deal. And they would take the wheat after it was it was pressed. They would throw it in the They would throw it up in the air and the, the breeze would blow the chaff. The light skin away would fall onto the ground and then they would burn up the chaff and they would have the seed left, the wheat left. Can I tell you this morning, you have a real enemy that wants to put some real pressure on you. And some of you are feeling it today. On this beautiful Easter morning, some of you are feeling the pressure. You are feeling what Jesus said. Satan desires to sift you as we. You're in that place where Satan is wanting to pull you away from God. And here's what Jesus says Jesus says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, not if, and when you have turned back, I love that, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, that before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Wow. Here's what I love about Peter. The truth of the matter is this morning, there's a Peter in every one of us. There's a Peter in every one of us. Right. Jesus says to us, he says, Peter, you're going to fail. What does Peter say? Uh-uh, ain't going to fail. I'm not going to fail, right? How many of you have ever made promises to God, right? And broke those promises? How many times, right? Hey, God, I'm never going to road rage again, right? Especially with lovecan.net on the back of my window. Hey, man, I've been watching you guys this week. See, I sneak up behind you and want will see how these Christians live, you know? God, I'm never going to yell at my kids again. Then they do that one thing that just gets you. Right? God, I'm never going to get drunk again. I'm just moderation a little bit. This week, some of you, 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 you abused alcohol, you got drunk. Right? Some of you, I am never, God, I'm never going to lust again. God, it's not going to happen. I promise. Never again. We make these promises to God. We're never, ever going to fail in that way again. Right out of high school, I got a job as an electrician. I was working for my brother-in-law. He was an electrical contractor. And uh, I was actually dating my wife at the time. She wasn't my wife yet. I was dating Carrie. And uh, we had a long-distance relationship. She was going to college about an hour away. We both, both had very busy lives. So I would go see her about every other week. And so every other week on a Sunday afternoon after church, I would get in my truck and I would make that drive down to Spring Arbor College, Spring Arbor, Michigan. And we were in love, man. And when you're in love, time flies. Right. So we'd spend the afternoon together, the evening together, and I would stay sometimes till midnight, sometimes one a.m. in the morning. We'd stay up just talking and. And finally, I would have to get in my truck and drive the hour back home. And then I'd have to set my alarm and I'd have to get up at 5 a.m. So sometimes I got three or four hours of sleep before I went to work Monday morning. And I remember driving home one night after seeing her. And it's like one o'clock in the morning. I am so tired. You ever been that tired when you're driving? Uh, and you, it's just painful tired. It like hurts. You're so tired. So I roll down the windows right to stay awake. How many of you have done that before? And in Michigan, in the middle of the winter, it works really well. So the windows are down and I'm just trying to stay awake and I'm just kind of all over the road. And pretty soon I see these blue and red lights flashing. And, and here's this cop, the state trooper, pulls me over. And, sir, do you know how fast you're No, I don't. I'm so sorry. I said, I said, I promise you, though, I will never do it again. I promise never again. Two weeks later the blue light special one more time (laughs) pulls me over officer. I am so sorry. I don't know how I will never do it again. No lie. Two more weeks pass. Another blue light special. I get pulled over a third time in just six weeks. Okay. I'm sorry. I will never do it again. Three times. I promised I never would. Three times I did. Three times I got pulled over. And three times, by God's grace, I didn't get a ticket. But I want you to know, I've had several tickets since then. <laughs> so the rain falls on the just and the unjust, okay? Man, I felt like a huge failure, you know? I made these promises, I'm going to get this thing right. And and, and, and you know, for reckless driving and speeding, you know? I mean, I should have been ticketed, right? But God's grace. But I felt like such a failure. So I'd get home at 1 o'clock, and I remember setting the alarm uh, one night to 5 a.m. I'd gotten, you know, I was planning on getting about four hours of sleep and and I slept through the alarm. I was that tired. okay. And I wake up to the phone ringing and you know who it is. It's my boss. You're right. He's my boss. And he goes, hey, do you really want this job? (laughs) If you do, you better get your butt out of bed and get to work. Right. And he said, "And by the way, this is strike one. Then there's strike two. And he said, strike three, you're You're out. All right. So my job's on the line. A few weeks later, guess what? Strike two, it happens again. A few weeks later, strike three, it happens again. And I wake up to the phone ringing and I pick up the phone and my boss says, you know, why don't you just not even come to work today? It's very apparent to me that you really don't want this job. And he hung up the phone. And I was devastated and I was humiliated. I'm like... I am I am such a loser. I can't even keep a job. Uh, I can't even get my behind out of bed and go to work, right? I felt like such a failure. And that night, my boss called me. He goes, listen, I've had a change of mind. How many of you thankful that God changes his mind about our... And he says, you know what? I'm going to let you keep your job. I'm going to let you keep your job. How many of you know God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances, amen? That's our God. But my, my, my girlfriend Carrie at the time she said, you know what, we're not taking another chance. She bought me three alarm clocks. And she said, Listen, if you're gonna get married to me, you're gonna have to have a job. You're gonna have to have some money. How many of you know that's the will of God, ladies? So she bought me these alarm clocks and, and she she told me how to set them up all over the room, right? So you can't just do this while you're in bed. Hit the snooze, right? So I had to get up. and to, But guess what? It worked. And thank God for my wife. She's always spoken so much wisdom into my life. <laughs> There's a Peter living inside all of us. A Peter that says, I promise I'll get up. I promise I won't break the law again. I promise. I promise. Let me tell you the rest of the story about Peter. The night that Jesus was arrested, the, the Jewish officials, they came storming into the garden where Jesus and the disciples were. The Jewish officials were there. The, the Roman soldiers were there and they were ready to arrest Jesus. And, and Peter said, you know what? I'm going to fix this. And he, he draws out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And the servant's name is Malchus. And so Malchus's ear is laying on the ground. And Jesus rebukes Peter in that moment. And he says, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given to me. And then Jesus scoops up the ear from the ground and he places it back on Malchus's head and he totally restores the enemy's ear. And I think in that moment, Peter had one of those aha moments. You ever had one of those with God? I think Peter began to realize wow, the way Jesus is going to save the Jewish people from Rome is not with a sword. He's going to do it by healing his enemies. I think it must have just, just, just totally blew his mind. And, and the Bible says that Peter and the disciples, they then fled. But the, the Bible is very careful to say that Peter begins to follow Jesus from a distance. And so they're leading Jesus away to the high priest to be questioned. And as they're leading him away, Peter's back here hiding in the bushes and he's following him as they go. And he's following Jesus from a distance. He's close enough to hear what's going on, but he's far enough to to away to make sure it doesn't happen to him. How many of you know people who are men, women of God who are like Peter, right? They look like they've got it all together, but in their hearts, they're following Jesus from a distance. And I've been to those places in my life where I've been preaching and I've been saying the right things and I've been doing the right things and I'm tithing and I'm raising my hands and I'm serving and all of this. But in my heart, I am far from God. Okay? I'm far from God. Peter is following from a distance. And the Bible says... That Peter entered the courtyard where Jesus was being questioned by the high priest. And as Peter is in that courtyard, it's, it's cold. It's a cold night and he's warming by the fire and he's probably got his hoodie on so nobody can see who he is. And he's sitting there and he's warming his hands and he's trying to just stay a private Christian. And some servant girl comes to him and says, hey, aren't you one of the twelve disciples? Peter says, no, I, I'm not one of them. I've, I've never met the man. How can I be his disciple? So she goes away. Another man comes and says, hey, aren't you one of those disciples? I saw you in the garden when he was arrested. And he goes, no, I don't even know the man. Finally, somebody else comes and says, you're one of them. I can tell by your accent. You have a Galilean accent. Peter begins to call curses down from heaven. I swear to God, I'm not the man. I've never met the man. And at that moment, what happens is exactly what Jesus said would happen. The rooster begins to crow. Peter turns and he sees Jesus. Jesus turns and sees Peter. They make eye contact. And in that moment, Peter begins to weep bitterly. Because the very thing he promised God that he would never do, he just did. Some of you today, you're here and you've made promises after promises after promises. And you've broken them. You've broken them all and you feel like Peter. I've got good news for you. God's love can restore the fallen. He wants to restore you today. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And he writes this. He says, there is a myth flourishing in the church today that has caused much harm. He says, the myth is this. Are you ready to hear it? The myth is this, once converted, fully converted. Once converted, fully converted. In other words, once I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, an irreversible, sinless future beckons me. Discipleship will be an untarnished success story. Life will be an unbroken upward spiral toward holiness. Tell that to poor Peter, who after spending three years with God in the flesh named Jesus denies that he ever even met the guy. Right. My greatest failures, I think, in in following Jesus, they're not the big headline failures. You know, Peter had big headline failure that night. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Three times in one night he failed big time. I think my failures are more of the everyday failures. Maybe you can relate to those everyday failures. You know, maybe it's like, you know what, I'm never going to yell at my kids again. I'm just going to affirm them every day. I'm going to give them those I see in you, right, conversations and, and affirmations. And, and we don't do it. We're not the parents that we, we, we try to be, we promise to be, and we fail all the time. And I know for myself, some of my everyday, my everyday failures are, are just um, trusting God with the burdens that I have in my life. How many of you worry more than you pray Huh? Is that you, you worry more than you pray? You just worry, you run these things over and you're not saying, God, I just trust you today. I'm going to rest in your love for me. See, here's one of my problems. I expect more from me. Than I expect from God. How many of you know that'll get you in trouble every day? How about we reverse that? Let's expect more from God every day than ourselves. How many of you know God will not disappoint us, right? I fail in my marriage. This past week, I was trying to be a great husband. I said, Carrie, hey, let's do lunch. We haven't done lunch in a while. And so I said, there's this great little pizza place. I think it is anyway. It's called Tasty Pizza. How many of you know you can't go wrong with a name like that, right? So a little lunch thing. Let's go to lunch. So we meet at lunch and we sit there, we order, we get our food, we're eating our pizza and she's sitting here. I'm sitting here and I'm trying to be the great husband. You know, I just took my wife out to lunch. Good for me. You know, that kind of thing. And as she's telling her story, what's going on in her life, what's important to her? I'm over here and I'm watching the customers come in and out the door. And I'm watching the counter and there's there's a mix up in an order and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. Let's watch this. See how this happens. You know, meanwhile, my wife's over here pouring her heart out and she says to me, are you listening to me? And I said, yeah, I'm listening. She goes, what did I just say? I said, I'm with you, babe. You know, (laughs) I'm here. I'm here. You know, she goes, what did I just say? I said, I'm so sorry. I can't tell you what you just said. She goes, listen, if you're going to invite me out to lunch. Right. Um and and if you're going to, you know, be looking over here at the customers and all this and now, I can just get up and leave right now because you don't need me to be here. Right. You know, she's just said that. Or listen, if you're going to invite me out to lunch, she says, how about, you know, you you, you look at me, we get some FaceTime. You know what that is? FaceTime. That's that's when you pay attention to people. Right. And look me eye to eye and let's let's visit. And so I turned my chair and I looked at her and we had a great conversation. Right. But I I fail. I fail to love my wife the way she needs to be loved. I fail to love my kids. I fail to serve God the way I want to serve. I fail to trust Him. There are these everyday failures that I feel. And maybe that's why Jesus said, pray like this. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Maybe that's why Jesus said, pray like this every day. Maybe that's why James said, confess your sins one to another. That you might be what? That you might be healed. Every day since. Maybe you're like Peter today and you say, Pastor, you know, I just feel like I'm following Jesus from a distance. But it's not always been that way, Pastor. I remember the days when, man, I was just so hungry for God and and for his and for the word of God, I just devoured it. I just ate it like crazy. I remember one guy got saved a couple years back and he read through the Bible four times in one year. And I'm like, man, that's hungry. <laughs> that's really hungry, man. I used to just tell people about God all the time. But now I'm like this. I'm like this following Jesus from a distance kind of guy. I'm like Peter. And that's where I'm at today. And, and it could be because something has happened. Something unexpected has happened in your life. God didn't deliver you the way that you expected to be delivered. And maybe you're still waiting for that deliverance. Maybe like Peter, you know, Peter expected Jesus to deliver with a sword, right? And you expect Jesus to come blazing in your life with a sword and just just knock out all of your enemies, all of your problems. Right. Instead, he starts healing your enemies. And you're like, God, what's the deal here? What about me? You're healing my enemies. Right that's That could be a good reason, like Peter, to follow God from a distance, or maybe man you've gone through this divorce and it's just it's tearing your, tearing your heart apart you've got these custody battles you're working through and and you're like, man God, where are you and you're like you're, you're kind of like you know what god you've kind of you've really disappointed me you're not the God I thought you were and i'm just I'm just like this. I'm just kind of backing away. And I I hope I'm still saved. I hope I can still go to heaven. But God, I don't know that I can walk with you like I used to walk. Or maybe there's a temptation that you faced over and over again. And you're just tired of resisting. And you're like, you know what? I I, I guess I can can just follow God at a distance. And I'm going to live with this till the day I die. And hopefully, just hopefully I'll make it into heaven. I want to talk to you about how God views failure. We're looking at Peter here today. How does Jesus view our failure? Can I talk to the Peters in the room today? All right. If you're not a Peter in the room, then you can just, you know, just cover your ears as we keep going. All right. Jesus was so concerned about Peter that even the angels in heaven knew Jesus was concerned. How can we know that? The Bible says this, that there was an angel who met Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. And watch what the angel told Mary Magdalene. The angel said this, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Why would the angel say, don't forget to tell Peter? It was because Jesus was concerned about Peter. Jesus wanted Peter to know, Peter, I have not forgotten you. I have not left you, Peter. I have not forsaken you. Even though you have failed, Peter, I'm coming for you. So angels make sure that Peter knows that I have been risen and I'm looking for him. How does Jesus view our failure? Can I tell you this 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 morning? Is it still morning? Can I tell you that God is not surprised when you fail? He's not surprised. He's not angry. And according to the word of God, Jesus is praying for you right now. I want you to look at what Jesus told Peter. He said this: Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Jesus didn't pray that Peter wouldn't fail. He prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. Here's what we need to know is it's possible to fail without failing in your faith. You can screw up. You can deny God. You can do the very thing that you said, God, I won't do. And you can fail in that way, but you can fail without failing in your faith. What does that look like? It looks like Peter. It looks like Peter, the Bible says that Peter and John went back to fishing after the resurrection and they're out in this boat and they're a 100 yards offshore and they look back on the beach and there is a man standing on the beach and the man on the beach calls out to him and he says, hey, friends, have you any fish? And they call back and they say, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a thing. Sound familiar? (laughs) The man on the beach says, well, then throw your note, your net on the right side of the boat. And so they do that. They throw it on the right side of the boat and they pull up the net. And there was such a large catch of fish. They couldn't pull it in the boat. The only thing different here is the net didn't break. And in that moment, when they saw this incredible catch of fish, John has an aha moment. Are you with me? John looks back and he sees on the beach and he goes, You know, I know who that man is. He's the man. He's the man who fills empty nets. And he turns to Peter and he says, Hey, Peter, Peter, it's Jesus. It is the Lord. And as soon as he said that the Bible says that Peter put his outer cloak back on, you know what he did? (laughs) He went swimming. The Bible says he jumped out of the boat and he started towards shore. He said, I got to get to Jesus. Can I tell you this morning? That's what faith looks like when you fail. Faith doesn't stay in the boat and say, Peter, John, I'm going to hide in this boat. Don't tell Jesus that I'm here. I am so ashamed by what I've done. Faith says, you know what? I've got to get back to the goodness of God. I've got to get back to Jesus. Jesus. Peter says, I have got to get back to Jesus. I know I've denied him, but I know he's good. He just filled my net again. I know he's a good God. I've got to get back to the goodness of God. Thomas Merton said this, he said, a saint is not someone who is good. A saint is someone who has experienced the goodness of God. (laughs) I don't know about you, that sets me free. A saint is not someone who is good, but someone who has experienced the goodness of God. How many saints in the room today? See, you can fail without failing in your faith. The Bible says that true faith, it produces this boldness in us. Like Peter jumping out of the boat. He should have been hiding. But faith, real faith in in God and his goodness causes us to be bold, to be confident, to approach his throne of grace with with boldness and confidence, asking for mercy, asking for mercy and grace in time of need and in time of failure. How can you know if your faith has failed you? You can know if your faith has failed you by which direction you go when you do fail. Right? Right. If you run from Jesus and you hide from Jesus, right, you're making it all about you and your badness. But when you run to Jesus, you're making it all about him and his goodness. Are you with me here? You're making it about him and his goodness and his ability to wipe away your sin because of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is so in love with Peter. Can I tell you, he is so in love with you today. Some of you feel so far from God, such a failure. You're like, that's me. I'm Peter. Listen, God is looking today. He's not looking for promises. He's looking for faith. He's looking for now. Watch this. He's looking for love. Let's go back to the story. Peter is standing on the beach with Jesus now and Jesus asked Peter a very important question. And the question is not, Peter, will you promise me to never do that again? Peter, promise me right here, right now. Listen, I'll restore you right now to myself. We'll get in right relationship again. But you got to promise me, son. Don't you ever do that again. Promise me right here, right now. I will never do it again. Say it three times. I will never do it again. (laughs) We do that with our kids sometimes, don't we? And he goes, you know what? The question Jesus asked Peter was the most powerful question he was ever asked. And the question was simply this. Peter, do you love me? Not do you promise. Peter, do you love me? How many of you know that's good news? Three times Jesus asked Peter the question. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Why? Perhaps one for each time that Peter had denied him. Jesus made restoration. Listen carefully. He made it about our faith in him and our love for him. He restored him. He didn't say, you know what, Peter, take two years off to think about this. He restored him immediately on the spot. Peter says, you know, Lord, that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, then go feed my lambs. In other words, go back and do what I've called you to do. Some of you feel like the journey back to God should take you years. Some of you feel like you could never do what you did before in the kingdom of God. And God is saying, you're restored. Go feed my sheep. Go do what I've called you to do. We're going to close it up here in a moment. But I want you to notice real quickly what Jesus does. I'm just telling you the story. This is what Jesus does after he restores Peter. He then says something to Peter that Peter has heard before. And he says these words to Peter. He says, Peter, I want you to follow me. That's what he says. But that's not the first time Peter heard those words. He heard those words three years earlier. We read about it last week. Three years earlier, he heard, follow me. Now, three years later, he's hearing it again from Jesus. Peter, will you follow me again? Can I tell you this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, you will hear him. You will hear him say, follow me again. I want you to see the context in which he said it. It's found in John chapter 21, verse 18. And he said this, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. Okay, he's talking about spiritual maturity. Okay, he says, you dressed yourself. You went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, in other words, when you are mature, spiritually mature, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. In other words, he says, Peter, you are going to die for me. Will you follow me again? Will you follow me to the cross? We know history teaches us that Peter was actually martyred and he was actually crucified. But he was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus, because he didn't consider himself worthy to die in the same manner. I remember the second follow me that I heard. I was in Bible college and this was, um, I guess, about 20 years ago. And I know I look like I'm 22. That's, you know, help me out here, you know. So I was in Bible college and, and um, I was taking the, m- the most difficult course. Uh, I wish I could say it was Greek or Hebrew, but it was actually called homiletics, which is about preaching. It's a sermon preparation and delivery. It's teaching you how to preach. And it was my hardest class. It did not come natural for me. Everybody else was loving and I was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, and so the first assignment wasn't to stand up and preach. The first assignment was just to write an outline of a sermon. And it's the assignment was given. I had a whole week to work on it. I worked on it. I worked on it. And the night before the assignment is due, come on, students, you'll feel my pain. I stayed up all night working on this, literally no sleep all night trying to get this thing just right. And it just it was it was killing me. I could not get it right. I couldn't figure it out. It was like a thorn in my side. So I come to class the next day and I I, I go to the professor and I say, I am so sorry. I I worked so hard on this. It's just not done. I need some more time. I begged for mercy. I begged for mercy. She gave me a big zero for the assignment. Uh, I I was, it just killed me. It devastated me. And, And I had this crisis in my faith. And I came to the point where I said, God, why would you call me to do something that I get a big fat zero in? And I said, God, I'm done. I've just wasted three years of my life in a Bible college. I had one more year to go. I've wasted three years. I'm going to quit. I'm going to walk away from this thing. And By the way, God, you set me up for failure. So I'm going to walk away from you as well. I was having a crisis in my faith. It was serious. My wife and I were talking about it. And I was like, I just don't, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go back to what I did before. I'm going to go back to my nets, go back fishing. And I heard Jesus give me that second call follow me again. Follow me again. Take up your cross and follow me. You don't understand what I'm asking you to do. You don't know how to do it, but you're going to have to trust me. Are you willing to carry this cross and follow me? And in that moment, I said, yes, Lord. And I'm glad I did. Glad I did. See, your faith and your love for God will cost you everything. Whatever whatever you believe in, whatever you love, maybe it's a hobby, it's a job, it's your home. Whatever you believe in, whatever you love, you you will you will make big sacrifices for. And it's no different with Jesus. I want to finish with this story as the worship team is going to be coming. I heard about this girl who was dating this guy and they got really serious and. um, They were talking about marriage, they were making wedding plans, and he started to get cold feet. And she began to pick up, you know, uh, just some signals that something wasn't right. And so she confronted him one day. She goes, man, what's going on? You've been treating me differently. And he goes, well, you know, I've, I've been thinking, you know, all my life I've had this dream in my, in my heart. And my dream was to, to, to marry this, this hot, you know, surfer chick who's like totally fit and loves fashion, that's been my dream. And he goes, you know, I'm at that point where I just have to step back and and pause and and make a decision because I have to decide if if I'm going to wait for my dream girl or if I'm going to settle for you. That's what he said. (laughs) You love him, too, don't you? So let me ask you, if that was your daughter, what advice would you give her? Right. You'd probably say, oh, honey, just give him some time. He just needs a little time. Work this thing out. Come on, ladies, right? Yeah, huh? What? No. What would you tell him? What would you tell your daughter? Just dump the guy. Tell him to hit the road, Jack. Right? That's what you tell him. you say, listen, honey, you deserve better than that. Don't settle for somebody who's willing to settle for you. You need somebody who's crazy about you, right? Somebody who will give up everything to have you. And so this this girl, she went back to her boyfriend and she said, Listen, you don't know what you've got. You don't know what you've got. I'm going to make this decision easy for you. You're not worthy of me. (laughs) Hit the road, Jack. (laughs) Right? That's what she did. Let me say this morning, some of you are here today and you are dating God and you're dating the church and Easter Sunday is a great big date. And if things go really well today and you get a parking spot that's nice and close <laughs> and your kids like up kids, right? <laughs> and your, your baby doesn't cry the whole time in nursery, <laughs> right? And you you like the music, right? And the the preaching, maybe, maybe it's funny. And you're like, okay, you know what? I think I'll come back for another date, right? Can I tell you that this morning, there are thousands of pastors, hundreds of thousands of pastors all over the world, right? That are really stressed out about this big date. And they're thinking to themselves, and I know this because I've thought this way before. They're thinking, man, if I could just say the right stuff, they'll come back the next week, right? And pastors will do this. They'll meet with their staff weeks ahead of time. And they'll say, okay, team, we got to have a great plan. We got to do something to get everybody to come back the week after Easter. So let's put extra cookies in their guest packets. Let's put Starbucks gift cards in in their guest packets. Or I know, why don't we offer exclusive online dating to the Glad Tidings community? That'll get them to come back. You know, I mean, churches do this and they'll go through this big cheerleading thing. Come on, everybody come back next week. Everybody come to Jesus. Listen, listen, here's my advice. If you're going to come, come for God. Because he's enough. He's enough. If you're going to come, come back to God because God is good. Come to God because God is good. Come back to church because God is good, right? It's not God and a free set of steak knives or whatever. It's not God and this, it's God. If you've got better things to do next Sunday, then go do them. God's not in heaven saying, you know, I really need you to be here. (laughs) We're not going to beg you to come back to church we're not going to beg you to come back to Jesus. And you know what? The truth is, Jesus isn't going to beg you either. In fact, this is what Jesus said when he said, follow me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus said this. He said, if you love your father or your mother more than you love me, then you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. And if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, then you're not worthy of being mine. He said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, he said, you'll find it. Amazing. See, some of you, you, you hate that verse, but I want you to know I love that verse because it comes from a God. He says, I know what I'm all about and I'm worth it. I know what I'm about, and I'm worth it. I'm absolutely worth it. I'm an absolutely great God. And I'm better than anything this world has to offer. And if you think something else is better than God, then God says, well, go pursue whatever that thing is. But I'm not going to chase after you. In fact, God may make the decision easy for you. He may say, you know what? If that's what you want, go after it. And if that's the case and you really feel that way, then you're not worthy of following me. You're not worthy of being mine. That's what God said. How many of you know God can say that because God is worth it? He is worth it. He is worth all of our faith and all of our love and all of our sacrifice because he's a good, good God. He's a good God. I want to close with this question. You know, on Easter Sunday, you're supposed to give a salvation altar call, right? You're supposed to do that every week. I think it's written somewhere that we're supposed to do that. But the question I have for all of us today is this. It's not, do you want to go to heaven? Jesus never asked that question. He never said, do you want to go to heaven? He always asked the question like this. He said, do you want to follow me? That's what Jesus said. Do you want to follow? You're here today and you're hearing a message about how the love of God can restore those who are fallen. Peter was one of the 12. Not just the 12, he was part of the inner three. He was like the dude, okay? Walked on water kind of guy. And yet he failed and yet he followed God from a distance. I don't care how long you've been to church, going to church, or how long you've been following God. You may be following God from a distance today because of your failures. I want you to know this is the day that you can come back. And here's what I want to do. I want everybody to stand. Everybody to stand right now if you would. Jesus invited those who had failed to follow him. If you're here today and you are like Peter, man, I I know I have failed God in some way. But I'm not going to let my failures Keep me from God. I am going to today, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to come forward. Today, I am going to declare that my faith is in Jesus. My love is for Jesus. And I'm ready to take up my cross and follow him again. You're here today. You hear God saying to you, follow me again. For some of you, this is the second time you've heard the follow me. Third time, fourth time. So this invitation, this altar call is not for for just people who for first time are following Jesus. I'm talking to everybody in the room. Everybody in the room. On the count of three, I'm going to invite you to come and say, you know what? I'm like Peter, but I'm ready to say, I still believe, I still love Jesus, and I'm still ready to take up my cross and follow him. On the count of three, come. One, two, three. Please, come to the front. Let's pray together. Come to the front. God, we, we still believe. We believe we're not going to run from you. We're not going to hide from you. We're going to bring our failures to you, God. We're running to you and we're declaring, I love you. I love you. I love you. And God, we are hearing you call again, follow me again. We're saying, God, we're here, we're ready to follow again, whatever the cost, whatever the cross. God, we know that you'll give us the grace to follow. God, forgive us, we ask for our failures. Forgive us on behalf of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence and with boldness today. God, I thank you that we can be in right relationship with you. And God, we're here today and we're saying, God, we want to walk close with you, not at a distance, but close with you today. Thank you. Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to sing this chorus and I want you to sing it with all of your heart today. I want you to raise your hands and I want you to say, God, this is my song. This is my prayer to you. Let's sing together. about our Savior today. Lift your hands. God, you're so wonderful.
1: Come on, cut loose. Give God
0: the glory. God, you deserve it.